Beware the Ides of March. My Shakespeare folks should know precisely where that saying comes from. It was a line from Shakespeare's Julius Caesar when the soothsayer warned Julius that his life was in danger. Tis a warning to watch out for betrayal or misfortune, and it refers to March 15th, the day Roman Emperor Julius Caesar was assassinated. And while it's not the month of March, it is the month where writers march as they strike for better wages. And SAG-AFTRA is about to pull up the rear and do the same as a strike authorization has already been released to actors. Only time will tell the depths of betrayal and misfortune we will experience this time around. But right now, I am reminded of how I survived the writer strike of 2007. And I'll share my experience of how I came out on the other side. And it's a history that I am just not willing to repeat. Welcome to Acting Lessons Learned. It's me, Tawana Floyd, returning from hiatus. You know, when I planned a three-week break and a trip back to New York, I didn't know it would be serendipitous timing. I didn't miss much on the acting front because productions were coming to a halt in expectations of a possible writer strike. And I'm sure by now you've heard that we are in the early stages of a labor strike. The WGA, Writers Guild of America, the union representing almost 12,000 writers, is in an ongoing dispute with the AMPTP, the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which began a little over two weeks ago on May 2nd, 2023. And word on the street is the Directors Union, the DGA, is also in talks and SAG is soon to follow, as our theatrical contract will be ending in June. So if you've been putting off that much-needed vacation because you wanted to remain available for auditions, a writer's strike is your cue to plan that trip because it shuts down pretty much the entire town. But be mindful with your finances because one thing I know for sure, strikes of any length can cause financial ruin, and not just for writers— for everyone in Hollywood. But before I dive into the episode, do you know what today is? It's my anniversary. That's right. Acting Lessons Learned is celebrating its one year anniversary. (laughs) That's my ear horn. I posted my first episode on May 10th, 2022. Yes, I deserve applause because I'm patting myself on the back for doing it scared. This podcast began as a blog in 2013. In total, at that time, I had wrote and published nine blog posts. But my lack of discipline and infrastructure caused me to lose interest and stop production. Then when I decided to turn Acting Lessons Learned into a podcast, I was concerned I would drop the ball of consistency again, and I was even more afraid that I wouldn't have anything worthwhile to talk about or that my content wouldn't be interesting to build an audience. But here I am, a year later with 23 episodes published and a modest 1,700 downloads, and I have to thank you, actor friend. Thank you for listening to my actor tales, to my journey. Full transparency. Had I known how much effort and time goes into producing a podcast, I might not have been here talking to you right now. I've had some hiccups along the way, but my commitment to being committed brought me this far to tell you it may take a lot of work, but the rewards of helping others and having my own IP outweigh the challenges. Thank you to those of you who have written me, who have texted me, who have seen me at, at auditions and said, great things about the podcast. It really means a lot. It goes far and it helps me to stay on course. And I'm just happy to know that people actually like what I'm offering here. 
And also, let me encourage you to do the thing you've been wanting to do but may have been too scared to do or didn't have time. Do it scared and definitely do it now because you got the time. I mean, let's face it, we're getting back like, what, 40 hours a week back from the self-tapes that stopped? This is a perfect time to support the writers, support ourselves as actors, and go on vacation or launch that project that you've always wanted to launch. Were you around for the last writer strike in 2007 that lasted four long months? And then after that was the Screen Actors Guild three-month stalemate with the majors that caused a big L for collective bargaining when AFTRA, then a separate union, made a deal that undercut television wages for actors. Do you remember that? And then all of that was happening during the Great Recession of 2007 to 2009? It was a trio of troubling times. And I don't know about you, but I am seeing parallels of 2007 showing up today. The strike starts off leisurely. Everyone is unified and seemingly optimistic. It's serious, yet the strike leaders try to make it fun and light. So there are daily themes, donuts, snacks, coffee are dropped off for the strikers. Colleagues are reconnecting and networking. Folks are taking photos for the gram. And then around week three or four and on... It becomes increasingly difficult as we feel the squeeze of not having any income. At some point, both sides agree on a common ground. We return back to work and then we start our own financial recovery, which nobody really talks about, but I'm going to talk about it today. How long did it take you to bounce back from 2007-2009? That labor crisis took me two years That was my first official struggling actor moment, and it was not enjoyable. My first time experiencing a strike as an actor in Hollywood was rough, and I don't know if anyone can fully prepare for the effects a strike can have on one's livelihood, but after 2009, I changed my lifestyle so that if a financial crisis of any nature occurred again, I would hope to not be in the same situation as last time. And I say hope because it's still a volatile industry and anything can knock you off your grounding at any moment. The major component that I decided was going to help me to remain sustainable as I pursued my career as an actor was to lower my overhead. And I had four saving graces that allowed me to maintain peace of mind around the uncertainty of my future as an actor. To give you a timeline of events, I moved to L.A. in 2005 and booked my first national commercial in June of 2007, months before the trio of troubling times occurred. Now, I was fortunate to have residual income during the strike, but since I was new to L.A., I wasn't getting a whole lot of auditions and didn't book more work once the writer strike ended. Then my commercial and the residual stopped in 2008. My finances were waning quickly. And right on the heels of that was the three-month SAG stalemate. So I decided to take a job outside of the industry to supplement my income. And I got a job at Apple, which was supreme divine order because my knowledge of tech was limited to my Apple desktop and my classic iPad. Working at Apple was not on my radar, but you know what? My spirit guides always show up and have my back, only to the degree that I actually take action on the intuitive hits they send me. But since 2009... I listened to those intuitive hits. This Apple job came to me one late night while I was on my computer and I was scrolling. I feel like it was either MySpace or Facebook. Yeah, MySpace was 
I think it was on its way out at the time and Facebook was just coming in. And so I came across this simple ad to apply to Apple, which seemed easy since I wouldn't have to go into the store. And I had 10 plus years of high end retail experience from New York to L.A. So I figured at the very least I could get an interview. So I applied and then I forgot about it. I think it took about a month for them to respond, but I got an email that I was invited to a group interview, which was bizarre to me because I had never participated in a group interview for a job before. Come to think of it, Apple was the only group interview that I've done since, I mean, outside of a group audition. Now, I have to tell you about the interview because it's integral to my labor strike stalemate recovery period. When I arrived to the Apple store, there were about 50 applicants, all races, ages, genders, because, you know, it's Apple and they've always fostered inclusivity in the workplace. I sat next to this black woman, a few years older than me. Her name was J.W., I learned that she was a 20-year veteran in TV and had been working on well-known network shows as a script supervisor, which I didn't know what that was at the time, and I had to ask her to explain it to me. She was beautiful, with a kind face. She had a head wrap on with long locks flowing out the top, and she was friendly as she struck up conversation with me, which put me at ease because I was intimidated by this tech interview. I didn't know what to expect. We shared the same sentiment of possibly not taking the job, but at the same time, we were looking to get back on solvent ground. We decided that if we were offered the position, we'd take the job, and then we would quit when our respective jobs began to pick up. Surprisingly, I was hired as a specialist and JW as a concierge. Working at Apple was a no-brainer. It paid well. They only hired people part-time. If you wanted full-time, you had to earn that position. And so many of the employees were always wanting extra shifts. With that many people on staff, it was damn near impossible not to have someone cover a shift with 24 hours notice. So that allowed JW and I to get off when we worked on shows and to pick up shifts when we were in between shows. JW and I became fast friends. I was still working on clearing the debt I accumulated from the impact of the writer strike and the SAG stalemate. But the management team at Apple, <laughs> they were just a little overbearing for my taste. So after a year in 2009, I left and got a better paying job, weekends only. But it was in Costa Mesa, which actually turned out to be great because it was a wonderful way for me to leave L.A. on the weekends and go to Long Beach or... Um, all the different places that are in Orange County, they have really great restaurants out there. And also, I met my best friend there. As this was happening, I thought it would be a good idea to lower my overhead by releasing my West Hollywood studio apartment to move in with two roommates. Me and two other actresses, both New Yorkers like me, we found a spacious, beautiful loft apartment in West L.A. I took the loft space and I turned it into a bedroom. It all seemed like a great idea at the time, except. I'm an only child, and I've never had roommates before. Uh, one of the loft walls was made of plexiglass. The landlord had lied about the material he would use to close off the loft space, and since we didn't have it in writing, I spent a year listening to pots and pans clanging below if one of the ladies were in the kitchen. Thankfully, that was the least of the noise I'd really hear, because we all pretty much stayed in our rooms. But over time, and I'd say maybe about three months in, Two of them stopped getting along, and by the end of the year, we were all just good on each other. <laughs> now, the experience wasn't catastrophic like most L.A. roommate horror stories I hear about. We just weren't a fit, but we did share many resources for growing our careers. 
We never set out to be great friends. We were only coming together to save money, to build our careers. And I did wind up paying off 75% of my debt. And I booked my first TV co-star. So in 2010, after a year, we all moved out. And like most Los Angeles roommate stories, we don't speak to this day. (laughs) But I hold no ill will against them. And I actually have some really awesome memories of when we were getting along. You know that saying, a season, a reason, a lifetime. We were in it for a season, a season of financial recovery. Now, when it came time for us to leave the spacious loft, I didn't know what part of town I wanted to live in next because West LA just felt too far from auditions and WeHo wasn't really near any highways. And I knew I wanted to live in a central location to most of my auditions and I wanted to pay less than $1,000 rent. But even though I had paid off 75% of debt, my credit was bad. (laughs) The struggling actor life only allowed me to pay rent on time. So all of those late credit payments had dropped my FICO like a hot potato. And getting an apartment with a low FICO score, I believe it was in the 600s or maybe it was 500. I just know it was bad. So it diminished my options of where I could live and who was going to rent me an apartment. Thankfully, though, because I had kept in touch with JW from Apple, I knew that she was back to working as a script supervisor on a network show that took her on location for two years. She was out of the state. So prior to my moving out from the roommates, JW had asked me if I knew of anyone looking to sublet her large one-bedroom apartment. I didn't at the time when she asked me, but I did now. So I called her and I asked her if her apartment was still available, and it was, but I couldn't afford the rent. (laughs) So I told her what I could pay and asked if she would accept that. She said, as long as I included the gas, electric, and the Wi-Fi, we had a deal. And so I moved into JW's large, peaceful, and comfortable one-bedroom apartment in Mid-City. The location was perfect. And what was better was not having the noise of roommates in the house. When I got to JW's house, I slept a lot. I didn't know how exhausted I had become from the noise and the tension and the energy depletion. The industry was back up to speed and it was time for me to pay off the remainder of my debt and acclimate my speed to Hollywood speed. I took on three more flexible part-time jobs, paid off my remaining debt, hired a career coach, and began marketing myself to casting directors so they could know that I existed and I was here to work. The best thing that I think that helped a lot was taking financial literacy classes at the Actors Fund, now it's known as the Entertainment Community Fund. Listen, if you are in entertainment and experiencing financial issues, you have got to check out the Entertainment Community Fund. And this is not an ad because everything that they do was government funded, so all of their classes and resources are free. But they will help you get back on your feet with financial classes, career courses, resume writing. It's just a really wonderful resource that not a lot of people know about. Doing all of these things while living in JW space helped me to finalize my transition from broke actor to solvent actor. And at this point, JW was set to return back to LA, so I had to find an apartment. But my FICO hadn't matured quickly enough to an acceptable number, so I didn't know where I was going to find an apartment. And then one day, as I was walking in JW's neighborhood, 
There was a beautiful, nice-sized, 12-unit rent-stabilized building, and it had a studio with hardwood floors, south-facing windows, lots of light, a separate kitchen with new cabinets, new bathroom tiles, a walk-in closet, curb appeal, and the rent was $850 in 2011. So I had to have it. But was the landlord going to rent me this apartment with my bad credit? I don't know. Since I believe in transparency, I wasn't going to wait for the owner to get excited about me, then run my credit, and then realize that my credit is bad, and then tell me no. So what I did was when I was about to meet with her, I printed a copy of my credit report, and I told her up front, look, my credit is bad. And she said, well, how bad is it? So I gave her my credit report, and she looked a little disappointed, but she had questions. She asked why my credit was bad. I told her. I'm an actor. There was a writer strike. There was a sax stalemate, the recession. I may have been late on my credit cards, but one thing I'm never late on is my rent. And you can see that I have no judgments to prove that. She seemed a little leery and she said she had to discuss it with her business partner. And a few weeks of back and forth and me just being nervous and like, oh my goodness, JW is going to be coming home soon. If I don't get this apartment, then where I'm going to go? The landlord said that she would lease the apartment to me. And all I had to do was pay almost double the security. And I said, bet. And I have been in this apartment since 2011. And that's what got me back on my feet. Since 2011, I've booked 40 national commercials and 24 TV series roles. Of course, I got out of debt. Of course, my FICO went up. Um, There was another issue where I got into debt again. Maybe I'll talk about that another time. But I quit those four jobs and just became a working actor. While my rent has increased over the years, it's still relatively low, especially in this through-the-roof rent climate. But I have been maintaining keeping my overhead low for many years without living a small existence. I still travel, I still eat out, which is my favorite pastime, and um, life is good. So if there are any takeaways, know that strikes are hard. But they are catalysts for change, change in the industry and change in your life. Look, we are about to face the fight of our lives with the AMPTP. I don't know how long this labor dispute will go on, but with AI being a conversation that they want to avoid when we have zero protections in that space, I can only deduce that this is going to be a lengthy strike between the writers, possibly the directors and the actors. But hopefully all three unions will unify and really come up with something. So in the meantime, support all of the unions in any way that you can, but use this time for extreme self-care. Determine what the next phase for your life is going to be and be wise with your finances. This is not the time to squander your money on classes that you may not need or anything that's unnecessary especially if your funds are already tight. If you need to take a job outside of the industry, don't feel embarrassed that you have to do so. Actors, directors, like I said, JW was a script supervisor. This is just part of, this is just course for the par. Sometimes we have to go outside of our industry and get back on our feet and then we come back. And if you have to take a job, make it temporary. Give yourself an out time. Know how much debt you want to pay off or how much money you want to save that will give you peace of mind. 
I'm hoping that the AMPTP will find their hearts and help us get back to work with with a contract that helps us be paid for our worth. And if you find yourself feeling afraid, get in community. It's kind of like the pandemic all over again, in a way, except there are other options to make money, to earn a living, to, to bring money into the home. That is it for this episode of Acting Lessons Learned. I want to let you know that I am switching from Tuesday postings to Friday. So I'll be here every two weeks on Fridays instead of Tuesdays. I found that the workflow is much better when I save it for the end of the week. And you don't have to listen. Well, you can listen to it on Friday, but you could listen to it over the weekend. If you like what I'm doing here and you want to support the show, here are some ways you can do so. Give Acting Lessons Learned a five-star rating. You can leave a review. You can share a link to the podcast with an actor friend and tell them what you like about the show. You can buy me a coffee or all the above. If you want to learn more about me, go to my website at TawanaFloyd.com. I'm also on Instagram at LifeByTawana and at StarringTawanaFloyd. And I have a surprise. You can now subscribe to Actor Business School on YouTube, which is my latest project launch, educational tools to help you grow your career. I will see you back here in two weeks and stay, stay optimistic. We are resilient. We're actors. We lose jobs and we get back out there and do it again. So a strike may be hard, but on the other side of this, As I've shown you proof, you'll be back on your feet again in no time. Bye.